to substitute Rosales to cross into the box all the way to the back post and they've turned it in and they've gone back into the lead it's Alan Benitez the right back has stunned Jonas Park with his first goal in Major League Soccer and Minnesota back in front Another week, another home disappointment, the third home loss in four matches and now a six-match winless streak for the boys in gold. Tony Husband's call of Minnesota's 75th-minute winner, courtesy of iHeartRadio. Welcome to Club and Country, a less festive episode today, uh, but factual nonetheless. It's been a minute since you've had a real festive one. <laughs> That's a great point. And yet the listener count continues to, to be strong, and we appreciate everybody sticking around with us. And, and actually, you know, often readership listenership goes down when, when a team struggles. We've seen the opposite. We've seen more engagement from you guys. And we, we'd like to think it's because you're coming here to, to maybe vent a little bit and to, to get some of the why behind the what. And that's what we like to provide on Club & Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. From the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice West Bowling, back from lovely Canada, where it already feels like fall. Uh, it does not feel like fall, Tim, in Tennessee just yet. No, it does not. And I am Tim Sullivan, the publisher of clubcountryusa.com, where I've been, as you mentioned, uh, longer than anyone in my respective discipline. I've been writing about the team longer than anyone else. And great match coverage last night. Good questions as well. And we'll get to the question that you asked Dax McCarty after the match and his eloquent and accountable answer uh, to that. I was sitting in the press conference room, actually, uh, listening in uh, because we were off the radio uh, call at that point. Somehow, Tim, this call, this team's still clinging to a playoff spot. They are in seventh at the time of listening. Some midweek games could change that a little bit. But, Tim, also, the product itself, as much as people want to vent and want to be mad and we're going to let them, that's great. The product wasn't bad Sunday. But, once again, it was lapses and missed chances that cost this team against Minnesota. The product wasn't bad, but it's kind of become an all-too-familiar refrain, right? The team plays pretty well. Um, and this may very well have been one of the better performances at home. Yeah. But- they can't turn that into final product at Geodis Park, and more importantly, they can't turn that into uh, all too often wins, but in this case, they couldn't even turn it into a result. No, and when Hani Mukhtar equalized and it was 1-1, you just felt the second goal coming, but you felt it coming for Nashville. They were incredibly mm-hmm. dominant. We'll get into some of the numbers that illustrate that. And so maybe it's one of the more debilitating setbacks this team has had because you can't just point to one or two major, major you know, systemic flaws. It was two moments and uh, we'll talk a little more about about that and what it takes to, to solve that the early shout we'll get into it what went wrong on sunday and our gold nuggets we'll talk about the reasons nashville should have won the match or at least taken a point would, out of it because it would have been better for them that's why they should have we well, should have yeah. given them this advice before <laughs> if only they had thought about that you know like, oh yeah we should actually win the game That'd be good. There you go. Flip the switch. That's perfect. We just fixed it for him if they listen. Uh, Dax McCarty does take accountability and talks a little bit about the the, the character issue that, that he thinks it will require. It's a, it's a matter of character. Do we agree with that? It's a pretty feeling small answer, but he might not totally be off base there. Uh, we'll talk about that one and what is happening at home. We'll rank the key factors as Nashville's won just three of its 12 home matches now since uh, opening up Geodis Park in the mailbag. Is this team what its record says it is, or can we continue to tell you, hey, they're just underperforming, um, the, the the product is, is underselling what the process looks like? We'll talk about it. Uh, maybe <laughs> embrace some debate or consensus there. Any roster Big movement sigh. coming up? It's just it, it, we don't want to be one note. You know, this team for a while it was it was not 
putting together winning streaks, but also wasn't cobbling together losing streaks either. And so you, we had some variety, you know, uh, but we're not going to be one note. We'll just dig deeper and deeper and deeper um, as the team dives uh, down the table uh, a little bit. And uh, also we'll talk about the roster a little bit. You know, I think it's, it's time to start making some decisions or at least, thinking about some decisions of which Nashville free agents are going to stick around versus which might move on a sensitive topic, but we'll get into maybe what some of those decisions could look like. And then uh, Tim was an all-star you congratulations, by the way, on your appointment <laughs> to the all-star game on the media team. Uh, uh, yeah, not was, beat uh, league MX. We had a strong performance, but uh, I think the league MX <laughs> uh, media all-stars might've been a little stronger. It was a long, long crossbar challenge. Took 18 <laughs> efforts from each, each team to even come close. It's really ugly, <laughs> really cruel of them to make you guys do that. Uh, but uh, Tim was in St. Paul and, and has a cool recap of the experience following a couple of Nashville SC players up there. Uh, because again, Tim's going to give you the kind of coverage you're not going to get anywhere else, clubcountryusa.com. And of course, this podcast, which is sponsored by ML Rose. Tim, I keep having mediocre burgers other places when I'm traveling. And I, I just, I, when I think burger now, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to get a burger. It's going to be great, right? Because ML Roses are great. It's not the case. Not the case. Yeah, I went to the uh, the land of the Juicy Lucy. Do we do we know what a Juicy Lucy is? Can we talk about that on this podcast? We need to market explicit. Yeah, so they're like cheese stuffed burgers, essentially. Okay, um, they're like very famous in in Minneapolis uh. and maybe all, all throughout Minnesota. I have now gone to to Nashville SC oriented events twice and have failed to even consider getting one at this point. I, I, unlike you, have cannot even cannot even fathom cheating on ML Rose. So, so don't don't give these admissions of guilt live on the air, Wes. Unlike in a marriage or in a relationship, <laughs> with burgers, it's not cheating if you're out of town. Not true. Not true in a relationship, by the way. Is true with food. That is not relationship advice. But uh, I actually made a really, really smart decision. I tweeted about this the other night. So I was driving back from Ottawa. We were in London, Ontario for the night. And I was at a bar. I did the ultimate dad move. We've talked about it here before. And ordered the to-go meal and immediately bolted off to the restaurant so I could have 15 minutes to sit down and just sip on a beer and, and have a moment after a long day of driving. And... I asked uh, the bartender, as as I want to do in a new city, I said, hey, you got anything local on draft? And he looked at me like I was the biggest idiot in the history of the world, and he poured me a cheap lager, and, I, yeah, and I'm like, what's going on? Look, right? Well, yeah, Of course I am. Again, I'm married. And I looked at the at the map. I was like, what, what, what brewery is nearby? He didn't really specify. It was Labatt. They make Labatt a mile away. It's like going to St. Louis and be like, hey, what local beers do you have on draft? Yeah, Budweiser, of course, or, uh, you know, Milwaukee with Miller. No, I, I did not think that through and uh, was served a, a nice Labatt, which was refreshing after a long day, but made me feel a little bit dumb. So that's uh, the beer with which I washed down my very mediocre burger and uh, not my finest burger and beer meal. So I need to go back to ML Rose now and get that out of my system. Yeah, I Soon enough, Wes, you'll have the opportunity, uh, fortunately, for a long home stretch here to close the year. Uh, we will be very ML Rose proximal. Uh, unfortunately for Nashville, SC, home has not been as kind to them as it has been to us. So it's going to be the post-game beer, not the whiskey, at least to, to date <laughs> exactly. here. And uh, it was a, it's a bummer, by the way, because these late Sunday night kickoffs, ML Rose understandably closes a little earlier on Sunday nights, mm -hmm. and I was I was really bummed. Our, our, our friend of the show, Mike Meredith, messaged me, hey, you dropped my ML Rose? I looked, nope, they're, they're closed now. But open <laughs> weeknights, Saturday nights until late, and uh, plenty of those opportunities to drop by ML Rose and check it out. All right, let's head to our early shout. <laughs> 
It's crossed back in. Romney gets another head to it. Back post. And there's Mokhtar. And he scores! It's new look here for Hanny Mokhtar, but it's the same old player. There's the happy moment in the loss, courtesy of iHeartRadio. Tim, Hanny Mukhtar's 14th goal, not enough to help Nashville to a point or to three points, despite a robust performance, not just from him, but but from the team. But the final product just lacking, as nobody was able to supplement his scoring with a, a, a final touch in front of goal, despite eight shots on target, numerous opportunities. Yeah, Mukhtar has been extremely important to this Nashville SC team. I know I'm really giving you the hard-hitting analysis here, but wow. I do want to kind of push back on the idea that he's not getting a lot of help, and that, and that's not necessarily because uh, the team is is doing awesome things in the table. But um, as, as we know, when you look into the future, I think getting into the, the good spots is more important. And you're seeing CJ mm-hmm. Sapong um, not only have a, a pretty good doorstep opportunity, but probably feel like he was owed a penalty kick there. I don't think he was, but he certainly would feel that way. So um, I think when you look at what the other guys are doing, I think that's where you aren't finding uh, maybe the conversion that you're looking for. And that's kind of some of what is behind Nashville SC's XG underachievement. And we'll spend, I think, the vast majority of this episode talking about it. But Hani Mukhtar is the one who's converting, and that's what's important. Mm-hmm. But um, I think as you as you look forward, yes, there's a chance for CJ Sapong. Yes, there's a chance for Randall Layall to break back out. Teal Bunbury, when he comes back. Um, Gary Smith mentioned that his his injury was hopefully minor. So when he comes back, um, he's obviously been on a tear lately when he's been available. So it's not fun to hear in the wake of a loss, but I do think Hani's getting a little bit more help than it sometimes can feel. It's perfectly fair. And I think if CJ Sapong had banged in a couple goals here in the last month, we might not be having that conversation in that tone. You know, and, and Teal Bunbury, mm-hmm. four goals in his last four, was really starting to be that that complimentary piece too. And it's just Nashville SE's luck this year. You know, losing him when you do, losing Leal when you do uh, for a long time. And of course, Godoy most recently. And um, yeah, you can point to, to depth certainly being a question, but when you lose three absolutely core pieces to who you are, to core and then teal, you know, becoming that. Yeah. I think, I think your pushback is certainly fair that there have been solid performances elsewhere, but at some point, yeah, you know, if, yeah, if XG that, is that predictive, does, then yeah, that does not matter. That does not matter. When you look at the table, it's not, Oh, CJ Sapong accumulated some XG, but looking forward, it can be maybe a, a sign of hope for the future. Yeah. And way too many people are giving up on this team. I think we can honestly talk about the issues that are plaguing this team. And we will today without dismissing the fact that this team still has a tremendous opportunity, not just to make the playoffs, but is built to be the type of team to make a run. They might not have to worry about any home games, uh, by the way. Go on the road where they're you know better so far this year and, and make some things happen. I've seen some of that dismissiveness of, ah, just wait till next year. I'm just giving up. Ah, Gary out, which, look, it's the first long dry spell this club's had in five years under Gary Smith. Let's just let's hold our horses just a little bit on that. Um, but in our gold nuggets, let's talk about why Nashville should have won Sunday, why they did what it took to win, except for, of course, scoring the goals that are the you know foundation of the game. Uh, the attack was in season best form, first off. They tied a season high in shots. Uh, the, the stat that really jumped out to me, 40 touches inside the opposing box, also a season high, uh, the highest possession figure of the year, 15 shots inside the 18-yard area. I know the the first response you're going to have and listeners are going to have is, yeah, but Nashville was trailing for a good bit of that match. Yes, Game State will have an impact on that, but you still have to make those things happen. You still have to find the space to take those shots, to develop the buildup, to, to touch the ball inside the 18, especially. This was buildup. It wasn't just launching from 30 yards out every time. 
But still, just one goal to show for it. And that's where it all comes down. That's that's the brass tacks. Where did things go wrong, Tim, in the attack? Or was this just a great day for Canada's number two keeper, Dane St. Clair? Yeah, St. Clair had a nice day. I Well, speaking of things I need to push back on, what? I know he is, but Maxime Crapo should be the oh, number shoot. one keeper, moving Borjan down to number yeah, two. No. I am not John Herdman. I don't Dang get to it. make these decisions. St. Clair's uh, number three. You got me. You got me. And now I'm going to go back and, and edit our radio <laughs> broadcast from last night where I said the exact same thing in the pregame. Whoops. No, but I mean, he had a nice day, but I mean, he's going to have those. He's really good. That is why he is a player for a, a Canada national team that, that ended up winning the Ocho. Uh, Nashville didn't necessarily make him work hard enough. And um, when you accumulate a lot of expected goals and don't convert on those expected goals, the question is, what did we do with those opportunities that we found? And we'll talk a little bit later during the mailbag about what exactly goes into XG, because I know we talk about it constantly mm-hmm. without necessarily giving the full definition there. But the X place, according to American Soccer Analysis, which is the difference between what the expected goals are, where you take the shot, essentially, and where you put it on the frame of the goal, um, the difference between those two was plus 0.07 for the day. So it was about average. Um, according to American Soccer Analysis, NSC had 1.82 expected goals. So they underachieved their expected goals by about 0.82. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at what their X place was, about average, yes. But plus 0.29 of that came from Mukhtar. So about a quarter of a goal was from Hani Mukhtar. And that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, that the the shooting of his teammates and, and you know turning expected goals into even more dangerous positions on the frame as you shoot the ball was not happening enough. And on defense, a solid display except for those two moments, which, of course, end up mattering, and the rest of it doesn't. Uh, Minnesota didn't manage a shot from the 51st minute until that goal in the 75th. I had just tweeted, wow, they hadn't taken a shot in 20 minutes, and then here they come uh, on the counterattack, and uh, Shaq Moore dives in, misses. It's a breakdown that near flank, that left flank, the cross. Center backs can't get there. Joe can't came out, come out, and, and all of a sudden, it goes from Nashville being in the ascendancy to here we go again. Uh, but apart from that, Minnesota just had seven touches inside the NSC box all day. So that stat to put those together, 40-7 to seven in favor of the boys in goal. Just a couple of corner kicks for Minnesota as Nashville snuffed out chances typically in the final third and, uh, and often outside of the 18. But, Tim, I couldn't help but feel that Nashville's front-footed approach, especially as they chased the game and, and chased the win, left the defense flat-footed on those two match-defining occasions and a couple other times as well. They got forward with such aggression that the counterattack was particularly incisive. And when you have guys like Reynoso and Fragapane and Amaria, they're going to do that to you sometimes. Nashville was, was fairly dominant defensively, and it's, it's obviously fair to be upset about the opponent scoring goals. Uh, sources indicate that that is not good for your team when the opponent scores. But, man, the way they came about, they were just both completely out of the blue. And uh, the first one especially was just was totally harsh to Nashville, really. Mm-hmm. Um, both were against the run of play and the product of individual mistakes. And on Monday's Pharmaceutical Soccer, I mentioned that it may actually be worse for Nashville that like a random individual mistake here and there is the issue because if there was some sort of systemic thing, you can work on a systemic thing. You can't say, okay, you know, next, next weekend, I I predict that Walker Zimmerman is going to short a pass to Dax McCarty. And then the following weekend, I'm going to predict that, you know, whatever else, you know, tiny little thing that's inherently unpredictable. You can't stomp those out in the same way that you could stomp out something that is a systemic issue. And I think that's what a part of what is so frustrating for fans is that there's there's no consistent way that this team is giving up some of these goals. And while I, I completely agree with you and, and think, it, you know, 
it's hard to draw a common thread. Dax McCarty did attempt to draw a common thread in his postgame comments last night. Here's what he had to say about this team needing to respond with character and the way they're getting beat inside key areas. I think what we're seeing right now is we are playing good teams, but more so than not, we are beating ourselves. And I, I really believe that. I, I really believe that uh, teams are, are coming into Geotis and they're happy to walk out with a point. And, you know, we end up making a mistake or we end up getting a bad bounce. Um, you know, we end up not taking our chances. And then the ball's in the back of the net on the other end. And then teams are, you know, almost elated that they're in the lead and, you know, they can feel three points right around the corner. And in years past, uh, you know, we've had this resilience about us. We've had this ability to, to bounce back quickly and get back into games quickly. And, and for some reason this year, that's it's, it's not falling our way on the attacking side of the ball. So I think in between the 18s, there's not a lot between the teams that we play. Uh, I think that it's pretty even. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm not really a huge numbers guy, but Certainly, you know, we have more shots, we have more possession, right? Uh, you would say we probably had more chances, but ultimately that, that doesn't mean anything, right? It's what you do in both boxes that really matters. And, and right now, uh, teams are getting the better of us in both boxes. There's no question about that. Defensively, uh, we are a lot looser than we have been in years past, and that's something that we have to figure out. And it's not all tactical. Some of it may be a tactical tweak here and there, but... Defending, for the most part, is a mindset. It's a mentality. It's looking across the field at the guy you're playing against and saying, you're not going to get the better of me today. And right now, we just don't have enough guys that are winning battles and winning duels to, to put out fires in the back. And that's myself included. So, Tim, Dax talking about how this team just, just keeps you know losing matches because of their play inside both boxes and how it's a character thing uh, that it's going to take character for this team to emerge from the slump it is of course a feelings ball Dax, captain Dax answer. out Dax out feelings ball out. <laughs> I know I know and I'm sitting there like all right no I can get behind some of this um but you know you'd expect a, a captain to say something yeah. like that right that, that's exactly the kind of thing as he's going to now go I'm sure to training this week and motivate guys and get behind him and say something similar doesn't really fit with the spirit of this podcast in which we're going to strive to analyze specific elements of the club's performance rather than just saying they didn't have enough character out there, enough belief. But I think you can safely say that continued defensive lapses and failures to finish can perpetuate a lack of confidence. And that lack of confidence can then perpetuate more defensive lapses and fails to finish in key moments. I I think there has to be a human element to part of this as well. And I wonder if you would agree even to the extent that there's some sort of slight erosion now of the winning culture to which we've grown accustomed as this team continues to concede in key moments at home and it can kind of become a, a vicious cycle. I thought part of his his press conference was pretty enlightening. He he kind of put the blame on himself a little bit more than we've probably heard any player do in a press conference. And it's been a while since Dax has, has been the chosen player for a press conference. He's not a guy that goes out and scores goals, so he's, he's not mm-hmm. going to be the one that's put in front of the microphone at the end of the game a lot. But... Um, when he said when he said that he is he is part of the problem, particularly in attack, I thought it was pretty enlightening because, um, frankly, it's true. And, and we've kind of you and I have danced around it a little bit, saying, "Man, this isn't the same Dax McCarty that we've seen in the last two years," and that's part of it. Um, it's been especially damaging because the guy who would step in and kind of give him a breather and let him get his his mind and body right, Anibal Godoy, has been unavailable. But in terms of the the content of of what we've just played is. Man, I don't I don't put too much stock in, in a into a lack of confidence as an issue. And that's 
I'm not in the locker room. Maybe he, I would, he's certainly far more, far more likely to understand the emotional dynamic of the locker room than I am. Cause I'm not in there, but a guy like CJ Sapong who's banged in goals for 12 years, isn't suddenly like losing confidence because he's had a couple months worth of bad games. So from a locker room perspective for Dax to say that kind of motivationally makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. It's the right thing to say, does it indicate, you know, this is the, the acute problem that if we change, um, if we suddenly give guys more confidence, this this team changes. I think the confidence is mostly there, and and a lot a lot of it is yes, as I as I often say, small sample sizes and, and bad luck. And I think Dax knows that whatever he can do to to turn maybe the bad luck into good luck, and whether some of that bad luck can be accommodated uh, by taking confidence into account, is is something to to keep an eye on. Yeah, I do think a club that's built almost entirely on a bedrock of veteran leadership is not going to be one that's going to be terribly easily shaken. It's it's going to be accountable. It's going to have sometimes maybe maybe a lower ceiling, but certainly that that higher floor. And yet we continue to see results that that suggest that something's going wrong. So I think we'll ask that question now. What what is going wrong at home? I'm going to name my top three factors, or one of them maybe the, the Dax McCarty theorem. We'll start with that one. Uh, and I want you to give me a one to five rating, one being not significant at all, five being, yeah, that's it. That's that's a huge part of it, uh, of how significant you think each of these factors is. And we'll start with, with Dax's argument, uh, which essentially I'll, I'll paraphrase and maybe hopefully not take words out of his mouth too much but or put words in his mouth. Nashville grew complacent after playing really well on the road early in the year and thought, hey, if we're this good on the road, we're going to be that much better at home. And they simply believed results would come once they played in their vibrant home atmosphere. It didn't initially happen. I mean, yeah, they, they played you know well against Philly, but it's a draw. They, they beat you know RSL, they beat Montreal, but it starts to kind of erode from there as it's not coming as easily as they expected. Um, the Atlanta match may be a tipping point there. And that started to shake the team's belief, and they're still fighting through that. That's theory yeah. number one. Yeah, I think on a, on a one to five scale, I'm going to just give that a two. It, it did hurt them for a couple games, I think. Once the adrenaline of the of that uh, Philly game and the RSL game kind of wore off. But that's so far in the past. I don't think that, um, you know, you, you see a team play badly and say, oh, there's complacency here. And then suddenly the complacency turns into a lack of confidence. I just don't think that, um, you know, that those factors can can last this long, essentially. Okay, so then we'll go with the Gary Smith theorem. He's mentioned this theory a couple times that that perhaps other teams just really like playing at Geodis Park. It, it's a nice, crisp field. It's good facilities. It's an opportunity to play somewhere new. And that good energy, I mean, most players would play, rather play on the road at a Geodis Park that's loud than a, what, Houston, um, you know, or somewhere that's just a little bit lackluster, San Jose. Um so, so they're playing well because they're motivated to come in at a new place and, and experience something new and, and get a result here. Yeah, that's a one, a one out of five for me. Nashville is a nice place to visit, but these factors are true of the vast majority of stadiums around the league. With uh, all due respect to Gillette up in New England, but um, this has a, this league has a stronger home field advantage than any other in the world, and there's, I don't think there's anything unique to Nashville that would make it not only not follow that trend but be completely counter to it. Um, so, so I know Gary has floated it, like you mentioned. That, that's that's pretty close to zero for me because if if other teams can get up for it, you would think the home team would be able to get up for it too. That's that's totally fair. So now I'll go to the theory that most of you are are floating on Twitter out there, which is simply that this team just isn't as good as it was in the last two seasons. They've they've taken a step back. 
Yeah, it's a three. I think that's of the, of the three that you floated here. I think that's the most significant one as part of it. Uh, some of the drop off isn't permanent. Randall Layall working his way back to full speed. I think um, this week was probably the first time you could say this this dude is completely back. And unfortunately, it didn't result in a goal, but it did result in some nice moments. Anibal Godoy made his return to the lineup on Sunday night as well. So NSC upgraded on right back, but they've only had Shaq Moore for a handful of games. There's every reason to believe that even if they haven't been as good or hadn't been as good, they're on their way back. But I think that's that's much more significant than either of the other factors that you mentioned. Okay, so a drop-off in quality then the most significant factor, at least of these three, but you still don't seem to be totally all in on that one either. So I'll ask you then, what is it? What, what's your biggest factor? <laughs> and I know, I, I know without even looking at the rundown, I know where this is going. So to our listeners. you if I said... A big part of it is just small sample size. Shocked you would say that. The, the caveat there, though, is that a season is short enough that a small sample size can doom your season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, four games are not enough uh, minutes played for the data to be robust and, and kind of be a reflection of how good your team is. But four games can can alter whether or not you make the playoffs, whether or not you win Supporters Shield, whether or not you win the Wooden Spoon, unless you're in one of the past three years when FC Cincinnati ran away with it. Getting unlucky doesn't take a loss away from the table, but it does It does kind of impact how you look at a team that might be stronger than the record says. So that said, especially when you look at home games alone, if you look at what Nashville deserved on XG terms versus what they ended up with on actual results, um, based on my slight calculations here, they're, they're kind of back of, the, back of the envelope, back of the napkin, whatever you say for that. So, so take them with a little grain of salt, but I, th- I have them that as down 10 points in comparison to what they deserved and the XG of their individual games. Um, and that includes six in the past two weekends where they comfortably out uh, created their opponents and lost both games. Um, so that's enough to change the season. That is, that is a two game sample size. That is, that is not only six points uh, cost costing Nashville, but gifting three of them to a, a Minnesota United team. That's kind of in this playoff hunt as well. So that's, that's enough to change a season, even if it doesn't really have statistical significance in, in kind of determining how good the team actually is. And where we might not see a lot of statistical significance in a, a small sample size. I do think we see patterns that can be you know discouraging that we've seen enough now that you can point to that and say, there's a flaw that needs fixing mm-hmm. late concessions. And I know those late concessions are happening due to a variety of factors, some of which are luck, but, but, you you know, late concessions, failure to finish in key opportunities. I think I think there's enough that we can point to and say yeah. there are flaws with this team. But I want everyone to repeat after me, or at least listen to me say this. This is still a decent to good soccer team. That's just what Was the I numbers tell us. You? You're okay. I think you've already kind of said this. You've expressed that sentiment. But I think, tell me if you disagree. I think this is still a good, no. this is a good soccer team. No, that's, that's absolutely fair. I think... Um, like I said, you know, I, I am as big of an XG zealot as there is, but I understand the limitations of what it can and can't tell you um, predictively versus descriptively. And this, if you describe this team, they're a lot, they're a lot worse than the performances have been. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're going to suddenly be better than their performances have been. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to continue underachieving what their creation is. But in terms of, um, you know, how good a team actually is, I think the creation is more important than what the table says, but it's not what counts when it comes to making the playoffs. Yeah, this might be the worst good team in the league right now. That's that's where I land on it right now is they are they are flawed enough and there are enough, you know, repeat challenges that they're putting in front of their own faces that I think we can we can certainly point to and we will and we'll continue to today. Uh, But. 
I think anyone who's out on this team is not looking at predictive data, uh, which is, is what you've been trying to preach and will continue to preach. Uh, one thing uh, that we will also preach, of course, the quality of ML Rose. It's, it's just great. And yes, and if if late concessions are too expensive for you because it's fourteen dollars <laughs> for a drink at Geodas Park, well, after each uh, home game, unless it's, unless it's a late Sunday game, you can head to ML Rose and then uh, more often than not, lately, drown your sorrows there uh, at the lovely bar that's right there on Eight South. And if you don't like set pieces, then don't set a piece of pizza in front of yourself after games. Instead, put yourself a burger or some wings or a chicken sandwich in front of you. And and I, I can't remember who said it, so I'm very sorry. You know who you are. Get, shout, tell me who it was, but small sampler size platter has got to happen. Whoever came up with that, <laughs> genius. <laughs> Two wings. Lay Allen wheel are the wings. Um, you need, um, I can't, I can't I, 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 <laughs> holding a mid-sized beer. And I, I don't know where I was even going with that. Um, so I guess you win the pun chain here. But small sampler size is 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 fantastic. I, that's not, even better it, than I, our. I do not take credit for it. It no. was one of our listeners. So. Okay. Well, whoever I'll, I'll, I'll it was, awesome. I'll try and awesome. figure out who it was. And shout out to Finn, by the way, as, as we like to do, to make sure if you if you send a picture of yourself, eat, well, you don't have to send a picture of yourself eating the burger. That could be unflattering. Uh, those burgers are great, but you don't have to look good eating them. That's okay. Send a picture of the burger that you are eating as Finn did. He was eating the Belgian. Uh, we, we have to give the shout out and, and we did there. So uh, for those of you who were equally sad that uh, the game was late enough that couldn't get to ML Rose after, we're going to try to get together again here soon after a game and um, always happy to, to hang out and spend some time and maybe even see the, uh, is it the rainbow unicorns. That's Valer's team. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. By the way, while we're talking about it, great job, by Valer. I loved hearing his voice and, and hearing from him. I had just seen him two or three days earlier at, at the Arsenal match at Fleet Street. Awesome to catch up with him there and then to hear him on the show and, uh, he, you know, the, the bigger shoes to fill now for me coming back in <laughs> as great of a job as, as he did. So glad you brought him in and uh, had, had a bit of a pharmaceutical soccer crossover episode, if you will. Oh, yeah. And, and the, uh, the away leg happened uh, this week as well. So catch me over there, folks. I uh i do have to say sorry to to interrupt myself i'm uncle Beezy. thank you for the small sampler size pun thank you well done uncle Beezy, and thanks for your continued tweets and engagement with us that's awesome and thanks to ml rose for their sponsorship of the show go grab a burger maybe you'll see us there after a match coming up all right to the mailbag to a very good friend of the program will reiners asking the question that i think many of you have as well which is it's more of a statement actually convince me that this team is not bad because at some point you are what your record says you are. That's ultimately the question, right? We can talk about predictive data all we want mm-hmm. and the quality behind what's happening. But Nashville is where it is right now because it is not converted at the level it needs to convert. Does that mean it is a low quality team? You've heard my opinion on that. I say no. What's yours? Yeah, at, at, at some point you are what your record says you are. That's that's our, our concept here, right? The record says that Nashville SC is, is despite being very underachieving this year, still a playoff team right now. I get the frustration. I absolutely do. This team should be in a much better position, but they are still in a playoff position on the table right now. Um, when you look at that, despite everything that has gone wrong from an injury, bad luck, um, opposing goalkeeping, shout out to Dane St. Clair again, they're still in the playoff field. If they have even average results at home for the rest of the year, they'll be safely in the playoffs. The problem is that I think at this point we can project that they're going to be well below league average at home. So um, you are what your record says you are is kind of more of a, is that is uh, the, the point that 
makes that Nashville is not a bad team. And I think, yeah, the, the, the question of what Nashville is is less important than the question of what, where will Nashville be? Where, not what, right? It's like some real philosophical stuff. It's about the where, not the what. It's about where you are in the table. It's not about what you are. And you could be way less or way more than where you end up, as, as is true with all of us in life. I took, took things deep for a second there. Yeah, this uh, guy's been watching The Good Place or something. I have. I He's got all this phil- philosophy. Love The Good on. Place. Uh, better call Saul right Speaking now. Speaking of actually, a good place, ML Rose. Uh, Ah, yes, the the post-promo reverse segue, backward segue. Uh, this team's not bad. This team's not bad, Will. And and Will, just full disclosure, is a very close friend, one of my best friends in the world, and he was texting the same thing during the match. I was uh, just doing studio hosting, and so I was able to text back a little bit. I was like, I'm not getting this debate. I'll save it for the podcast. So I'm glad he tweeted it as save well. Save all that content, baby. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna put my text behind a paywall now. You gotta, you know, you gotta <laughs> get the, the premium text. Listen to the podcast. Nashville's currently, I think, one of the worst good teams in the league. I think again, these players didn't suddenly get bad. Honey Mukhtar, especially, but even around them, you know, there are there are three factors. I think that are leading to this underachievement. I don't think any of these are going to shock anybody, but let's just sum it up. I'm Again, I'm the marketing guy in, in my day job, so let's just have the marketing trio of reasons why this team's not gotten it done to this point. One of these things is not this team's fault. One of them is kind of its fault, and the third is completely its fault. And they start with D, all of them, because alliteration is king. Alliteration is awesome. There you go. Number one, difficulty. Number two, depth. Number three, deficiencies in key moments. The difficulty piece is, of course, externally deficiencies. Imposed. You really, you really forced that one to get. I, I kind of did. I kind of did. Yes, I did. That's that's part of marketing as well. Forcing it, and trying to make it seem effortless. I guess I have failed. Uh, number one difficulty. We don't have to tell you about the long road trips. We don't have to tell you about the long road swing. It performed quite well in that road swing, but it created a very abnormal season. You come back home, and all of a sudden, as Jake Zivin was telling me, you know, talking about Portland's experience doing that. Jake, the great TV broadcaster, one of the best in the league, and friend of the show. He said, you know. They got back home, and not only did they probably have higher expectations, did Portland in that year, but also you got so many home matches back to back to back to back that fans just can't make it to all those. Your atmosphere ends Mm -hmm. up suffering a little bit because you're asking people to go to a match every eight days pretty much, and that's taxing even for the most loyal season ticket holder. So difficulty, number one. Number two, depth. Kind of a bridge from difficulty in that your depth has been tested by the absence of some cornerstone pieces, right? Randall Leal on a Bogadoy, now Teal Bunbury. You've had real challenges in in still exercising your quality when those guys are out. And part of that is, is on the club and on certain players for maybe not emerging. Those depth pieces that you need to step up in those moments haven't necessarily always progressed to the level or produced to the level that you would expect. And so then injury issues are compounded when their replacements are not coming in and, and maintaining that level of production. So difficulty, depth. And then, of course, number three has to be the deficiencies in key moments. And I think this club, you know, as it's tried to navigate some of that external difficulty and try to push through some of those depth challenges, has not been able to rise to the occasion either through late concessions or from the fact that a Luke Hawkinson who comes in and bangs in a brace in Toronto late last year is not creating that same magic this this time around. Is that Luke's fault or was that just an amazing string of fortune in that moment against Toronto? A little bit of both probably. Uh, and I don't mean to single one player out, but I think there are multiple players who have, have not stepped up when they've needed. And uh, as Dak says, failures in both boxes, failures to finish in key moments, failures to uh, to fend off the opposition in key moments. 
have cost him. So difficulty, depth, deficiencies, and key moments. Those have led to the flaws of this team, but I will I will maintain for now, I reserve the right to call the mediocre at the end of the year. If they mm-hmm. continue to flop and, and, you know, obviously if they finish outside the playoff line, they are by definition at least finishing in a mediocre position. Right now, this team yeah, is... Yeah, I mean, outside the playoffs is worse than mediocre, to be fair. But I think... I think um although I made fun of you for it not being a great alliteration, I think the deficiencies in key moments is important because it underscores the, the rarity of these key moments. Yeah. Um, you know, through 26 games so far, Nashville SC has given up 36 goals. Each of those goals probably had a build of less than five seconds. You know, if you, if you, if you add those all together, that is such an insignificant slice of the amount of time Nashville has been on the pitch. But those are the important moments too. So that's something that when you keep in mind what what the big picture of the season has looked like, yes, those are the important moments. But when you you know consider that there have been thirty six of them, for example, and you know the best the best team in the league, I think, has given up twenty two, nineteen of them for Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, they're they're almost twice as bad. But it's it's such a it's the margins are so small, the sample sizes yeah. are so small that. <laughs> that it, it feels a little bit worse than it is. Let's talk roster for a little bit. John Mueller, on a scale of 1% to 5%, how likely would you think it is that NSC has any roster movement before the roster freezes in September? He says, even I didn't need, feel the need to go above 5%. Seems pretty unlikely, Tim. Yeah, very low. Um, the uh, transfer window is closed, so they could not register someone who is not currently playing in the United States. I, I, th- I believe they could actually still grab somebody from USL per, per MLS rules since their ITC would already be in the United States. I don't think it's going to happen anyway. So I'm sitting here talking through it just because I'm a rules obsessor, as you all know. Yes. Uh, I think an intra-league loan, similar to Jacob Schaffelberg, for example, is probably the only possibility on the table aside from recalling their guys who are loaned out right now. Um, Robert Castellanos back with um, Tampa Bay Rowdies, uh, Cozy Donaciano out, and uh, Brian Meredith out. I don't think there's there's much of a role for Meredith to play mm-hmm. uh, for this team because he would now be the third keeper. So don't see a lot. And certainly not anything that would significantly impact the the remaining games of the season. Depl- depth supplements, you would think. If somebody were to get hurt, you could see a Longmire yeah. or a Bauer coming back. But yeah, that, that makes good sense to me. Um, so from the list of upcoming free agents, asks Garrick, uh, who do you think NSC will exercise their option on? A lot of salary money going to CJ and Teal with not a lot of goals coming from the two. Dax making uh, over 500000 annually. Does that salary number align with his performance and playing time? So first, Tim, I guess if you'll list out who the free agents will be at the end of the year that we can get into how things may look in off season. Yeah. It's Teal Bunbury, Dax McCarty, uh, Alex Muell, CJ Sapong and Joe Willis are uh, on option years. Brian Meredith is also on an option year. I don't think he will have his option exercised now that, as I just mentioned, he will be the third keeper on the depth chart. I think that's more of a place where you get a, a drafty or something like that. The only player who's, who's purely out of contract is Eric Miller. As we all recall, he had, a negotiation with the club. Um, I think each of the past two off seasons, if I recall correctly, rather than exercising his option. So I think he would not be renewed um, or he would not be, you know, renegotiated with in a, in a way that kept him with the club, whereas Meredith's option would be declined. And so therefore I do think Teal, Dax, Will, Sapong and Willis would be back around. Yeah, I do wonder if we see some turnover at striker. I think Sapong still has a good chance to make the case he should stay in town. He's a streaky enough player that if he rattles off two or three goals the rest of the year, especially in quick succession, then I think you know he makes a case to stick around. He's a good locker room guy and and a good striker talent. If you're going outside the league, you're paying a whole lot more than getting you mm-hmm. know good production uh, at striker. 
we've not gotten good production here in Nashville from from CJ since May, but but he always has the ability to to turn that around. I think Teal's absolutely making the cases stick around. Uh, they combine for less than a million dollars in salary for two strikers. If they are producing decently, that's a pretty dang good deal in this league, and you can you know allocate a lot of money elsewhere. But we're also in a world where they both really need to be clicking in the absence of production from Ake Loba. There's a little bit of me that's starting to wonder if maybe they just buy out his contract and start over there with a, either a new DP striker or another domestic piece or rely maybe on a DP wing to come in um, opposite layout. And I think Alex is obviously an excellent player to have around. He he fits the identity of this club in so many ways, but if all goes well, maybe the club puts him in a place where he's competing with others for that starting wing spot. And um, I don't know if Luke is going to be that that immediate competition. I think you bring somebody else in and you foster growth from those two players. I think it's probably a year too early to to make the Willis to Panico handoff as much as I think we really like Elliot and the, and the promise that he has shown. Um, and I don't see this club bringing in a placeholder there or trying to just revolutionize its approach to the position. So I think they could they could ride Willis for another year, give him a club option for a second, and again rely on his stability and, and leadership and evaluate long term options, and then kick that can uh, down the road at keeper uh, for a season. I think that's where things are at Meredith and, and Miller. Uh, I would tend to, to probably agree with where you stand on on those. Yeah, I, I also think the the not a lot of goals thing. You mentioned that Teal's pouring them in lately. He's top 10 in the league and goals per minute play just because he's played so little. The issue is that he hasn't played a ton, which especially as a guy gets a little bit older, can be another and perhaps equally important question when it comes to extending his contract. Um, as you mentioned, they, they combine for less than a million dollars. They're both well under the TAM cutoff. You are not going to find a ton of starting caliber strikers for less than six hundred twelve thousand five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and CJ Sapong is is you know seventy two thousand five hundred dollars below that, or sixty two thousand five hundred dollars below that. So I I do think that even if he's not scoring right now, we have seen him score in gold, and that's you're getting a steal for him because of what he does. That's not scoring, uh, and if he does start scoring again, uh, very worth it. Yeah, just need to supplement that with something else. If you're going to keep those guys, you need to find an answer, either another answer at striker. Uh, to compete with them or another wing. Um, and of course, if Leal produces as he, you know, has been traditionally as well, then, then that helps as well. Uh, Wyatt going defensive as we enter now the XG portion of this They're podcast. Going defensive Gary Smith style press conference, not on field. <laughs> It'll be our biggest achievement of the season. If we get through this without making more puns, biggest achievement since we've been, uh, we will not, we will not actually, uh, why, what happened to the defense on paper? It looks like we should be the, we should be the best, but clearly not. Also last year, Tim predicted NYCFC making a run to their XG and that they'd start hitting at the end of the season. I love it. When you guys look back on things we said a year ago and make us look right, smart, make us look smart. Is- forget that <laughs> i mean you know our hit rate's not perfect but it's almost perfect uh, of course uh, any chance that's the case with nashville though tim that it says wyatt that, that nashville could be that team this year that's underperforming xg can make that run you know how how predictive is this stat and does nashville have a late run in it yeah it's a distinct possibility for nsc we talk about it regularly in terms of projecting future output past performance is more meaningful than past output. So because Nashville has been putting up big XG numbers um, and because they they have not been <laughs> converting on those, and it's happened on the other side too, to, it must be noted. Um, you know, would a Nashville team that had scored five more goals, that's the amount that they've underachieved scoring, but also conceded six or seven fewer? Uh, yeah, they would be in a pretty good spot in the table. 
Um, if this team hits average conversion numbers, and um, there's no reason to believe it, I think there's like a system issue that's leading to the underachievement. Nashville SC outperformed expected goals in both of the past two years. So I think the system, quote unquote, doesn't really lead to anything. So it's a possibility. Again, because the sample sizes are so small, you can't say they will definitely do that. You know, we are not dealing with infinitely large numbers here that are going to um, basically guarantee a, a regression somewhere close to the mean. In terms of, of the defense, I just alluded to it there halfway through that answer. But Joe Willis has allowed 122% of expected goals against. That equates to six extra goals allowed on the year. Um, the performance in front of him has dropped off from the first few years as well, but only to the point that it's probably been worth about one total goal over the course of the entire year if you you know divide by expected goals allowed per minute in, compa in comparison to 2021. And, and Wes, you mentioned as, as part of the answer to the last question that um, it, it might not be quite time to hand it off to Elliot Panico, but I think for this year specifically, we saw coming out of the international break that Elliot got a couple games and whether that was because he had earned them or to help Joe get his head right for Joe to get back into the lineup. I do wonder if we see that again. I think Elliot Panico performed well enough in his cameos that we've already seen that maybe giving him some minutes to either win the job outright or let Joe kind of get back to where he needs to be could be something that we would keep an eye on. And that could help this team kind of be a bit closer to the, to the expected goals against values. I could see that. We know that, that Gary is traditionally rather risk averse um, and there aren't a whole lot of chances against teams far enough down on the table to where you think, Maybe this is where you put in Panico, but there there are those opportunities, and I do wonder if that's if that's something that Nashville does too. I, it would not surprise me to see him. I, I think if he gets in for one, he's going to get in for two in a row. I don't think that it's going to be just jumping in once unless he gives up five goals. You know, I, I think he, he's going to come in for a couple to try to get a run of games. Don't put that out into the universe, Wes. <laughs> Elliot Panico will not give up five goals in a game this year. There, that's not a is that a, is that a jinx? I don't know. It's better. That's better. Speaking, speaking of, of Elliot's and, and speak and speaking of luck and jinxes, to what extent? Well, this isn't a jinx thing; it's a luck thing. To what extent says Logan Elliot? Do the XG numbers mean that we are playing well, but just lack a rub of the green? I like that turn of phrase. I've never Versus, heard that. I don't. I, like I, it. I haven't either. I like it a lot. You don't like it? it makes me uncomfortable. Well, oh. What is green that we're rubbing? A shamrock? <laughs> I guess. Yes. Where's your brain? Not the leprechaun himself. We're not. Or or like other things that are called green. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move on quickly. We're going to rephrase. To what extent do the XG numbers mean that we are playing well, but just lack a bit of luck versus those numbers telling us that we lack the quality to finish in the final third? Put it another way. How much of our problems are down to bad luck versus poor finishing? I'll bring the statistical context here um, and then let Tim answer the, the question itself. Uh, in the XG table, if you looked just at Let's call every match where Nashville exceeded the opponent's XG a win, a loss, the opposite, obviously. And if there's, you know, a tie in XG numbers down to the, just to the 10th, then we'll call it a draw. In that XG table, since the Montreal home match, 39 points for Nashville. In the actual table, they've actually done 18 points. They've underachieved by 21 by that very, very simple um, and incomplete, nonetheless, uh, metric. If Nashville had won every match, it led an XG, and there was one tie in there too, it'd be second in the West right now, two points back of LAFC. Instead, it is the sixth most underperforming XG team in MLS. Yeah, I think I think the important part of the question here is is whether Nashville has some sort of, um, you know, whether the whether their bad luck is an excuse or whether there is some reason to expect that this team has 
a true shooting uh, ability that's less than average. And um, I have said it before and I'll say it again, and I will continue to promise the, the finishing festo that I will never get around to. Although finally there's a week where I'm not traveling. a lot, So we'll see. Um, there's very little evidence that indicates that there are bad finishers. Uh, once you get to the professional level, and certainly once you kind of normalize for all guys playing within a same league, um, guys are going to career average and, um, you know, be pretty close to their expected goals. There are exceptions. Yes. Uh, Lionel Messi. Have you heard of this guy, Wes? <laughs> have you heard of this, this little known player, Lionel Messi? No, um, I'm familiar <laughs> with Lionel clean, but not Lionel Messi. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the best finishers ever. In addition to being one of the best XG accumulators ever, but Cristiano Ronaldo, another guy that I've unfortunately heard of. He's Messi's top competition for best player of the generation, probably. He's a career below average finisher. I don't think anybody's out here saying Cristiano Ronaldo's soccer ability is as low as his as quality as a guy. Um, so, I mean, guys can definitely go through slumps, but I don't think there's any reason to expect the CJ Sapong and Randall Leal, who are career average finishers, and actually a little bit better for Leal, but it's a really small sample size. Everybody who's listening, drink. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think they're suddenly different players than they've always been. Yes, you can go on a run of, of poor finishing, and whether Dex believes that's confidence or whether I believe it's a little bit of randomness and luck doesn't matter because I don't think it's you expect it to be sustainable over the long haul. Our listeners are drunk today if that's their drinking game. <laughs> I've said it a lot. I really have. Speaking of drinking, patron saint of coffee, which is what we hope you're drinking if you're listening to this, especially in the morning. Uh, what factors go into XG? Is it calculated differently based on site? Good question. And I think maybe that should have been our first question here today. Uh, it should have been our first question of the first episode of the podcast. Completely probably. fair. XG, by the way, we'll, we'll go even further back. It stands for expected goals. For those, and I'm not, that's not a joke. Like, there are some people who listen to this, like, I just got into this team. It's my first episode. What in the world are you even talking about? Expected goals, then. What goes into it? Is it calculated differently based on provider? Yeah, I think for starters, the second question is much easier. It is different based on the various data providers. My XG source of choice, I've already mentioned it in this episode, is American Soccer Analysis. Um, it's a it's a essentially a volunteer-run soccer data house. Um, they use Opta's event data but they have their, their own proprietary model to turn out their XG numbers. Opta is the official provider for the league and, and therefore also for MLSsoccer.com. That's where the most accessible MLS numbers probably are. Um, StatsBomb is another major provider. Their XG numbers are publicly available on FBREF, which you can find at FBREF.com. There are a few other ones. Some of them do. Some of them do not have MLS. Understat is the first one that pops to mind. Um, Who Scored is also out there, but I believe they are just regurgitating Opta numbers mm -hmm. in a digestible format. So mm -hmm. no single XG number should be considered gospel because there are these different providers. Um, even the nerdiest of nerds, um, the people that I look up to in nerddom, believe it or not, <laughs> they don't agree on how it should precisely be calculated. So everybody's going to be kind of in the same ballpark to a certain extent, but keep in mind that none of this is like precisely precise. With that out of the way, whew, big deep breath. Uh, there are different factors and weightings given to those factors from these different providers because otherwise everyone would have the same model. Um, but the, the biggest factors that you look at across these models are distance. That is almost always the most important factor in every model. Um, body part, usually it's it's just um, head or not head, but some of them are a little more precise. Stats bomb I know can say knee, you know, shoulder, chest. Um, those are all less valuable than shooting with a foot, believe it or not. 
Um, pass type, a through ball is good. A cross is bad. Um, those are the ones that you keep in mind the most, but some of them even have like angle on the frame of goal, you know, shooting from a tight angle makes it a lot easier for a keeper to save it, for example. So those are some of the biggest factors. The number one is distance. Um, how people kind of weight the factors beyond distance varies from provider to provider. But again, they're all kind of in the same direction. It's just a matter of how they weight the factors. How does it factor in if the ball takes a rub of the green on the way? In? <laughs> well, for Nashville, a distinct lack of green is, is the issue uh, in terms of their shooting luck. I'd so. uh, say so. Uh, well done. Finn, Finn, Breland, uh, Finn Breland says he can't bring himself to think about or ask about NSC tactics this week. So tell us about the best goal you've ever witnessed on TV or in person, NSC or otherwise, and why is it Allison's header from last year? Okay, Liverpool man. And then again, he sent the bonus picture of his Belgian uh, burger from Trivia Night. Uh, what you got, Tim? Favorite goal? Yeah, Landon Donovan, goal, goal, USA uh, in the 2010 World Cup. It's not. It was not a beautiful goal. There was really nothing special about it, except for what it meant. What it meant for for the United States to advance out of their group, um, to win their group with a group that had England in it. Uh, no foreshadowing here. Where is there? Um, yeah, no, that rocked. And then the subsequent World Cup. I, I think most listeners by now know that the, the team that I root for is the United States men's national team. Uh, against Portugal in 2014, Clint Dempsey scored with his penis. Yes, he did. You know, sometimes you got to get a hard goal. <laughs> We're taking a turn here. We're really, really just um, dropping. Uh, my favorite goal. I'll go in person, and it was uh, actually thought of this before I thought about the fact that it victimized your favorite team, Finn. Uh, but uh, was at, at the Emirates adds, on my honeymoon. That does not take away that adds to how it, much you liked it. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Yes. Uh, so, and, and Finn actually worked with my wife. So what you may not know, Finn, is that uh, on our honeymoon, we went to England and, and Paris and uh, went to an Arsenal match against Liverpool. 4-1 Arsenal. One of the few times we've beaten Liverpool is before <laughs> Mo Salah. I will say that. We've been married for a while. And three of the goals happened in the first half on our end. And uh, one of them was a free kick. Uh, Golazzo from Metzit Urzil, he who uh, shall not be named in, in London anymore. Um, but uh, it was it was just a, a tremendous moment of euphoria. It was, I believe, the third of the three goals in the first half, our direction. And uh, it was just, it was sublime. Uh, something I'll never forget seeing in person. And it doesn't hurt that it was against your uh, your Reds, for sure. <laughs> uh, Stashville, back to tactics for a little bit. Can we admit the back four is a nightmare, he says. Yeah, so I, I no, I cannot. I guess the simple answer here. Like I, I've said for a couple of different questions and for different reasons, I don't think we've seen any source of goals that really comes from a system effect. There's nothing that a back four has given up that is specific to the back four that wouldn't have happened with a back three. I'm, I'm personally a bigger fan of a back four than a back three anyway, which probably colors my, my opinion on the matter. But a passing mistake from Walker Zimmerman trying to pick out a midfielder, um, maybe making a bad choice, is not a system effect. The keeper who misses a ball that he should save is, and I said, six, six and a half goals that, that uh, Joe Willis has given up this year that an average, quote unquote, average keeper would have saved. Those aren't a result of a system. Um, I think that's that's where you can really get into small sample sizeville because, uh, yeah, there are only you know the last five or six games in a complete back four, and uh, I, I think in the beginning of the year when Nashville beat Seattle, I don't think people were mad about playing in a back four then. It's just I just don't think there's enough data to say that one mm-hmm. is is worse than the other because of the system. I agree, and in fact, I think the back four is a better fit for for the personnel Nashville has, and Jack Moore's brought in with that yep. idea in mind. Yeah, yeah, and and I want to. 
let me make sure. Okay, yeah, we didn't put it in there. Uh, a couple of people have been de debating in the mentions that that the back three, back five is the only thing that makes sense, and I, it's it's not a fit for Shaq Moore. It's they brought him in, um, and they shifted to a back four kind of symbiotically because those were a fit for each other. Yeah, I completely, completely with you on that one. And, and let's get into a little more of that type of, of, of discussion and talk about the attack, the implications for the attack then. Um, and in particular, I mean, it was a cross-heavy night. I think we'll, we'll have to agree against uh, against Minnesota. And Ryan Francescan says, crosses as an attacking strategy seems to be failing this team. Nashville looked very slow through the middle and the idea is to create more through the center. Leal is a false nine. Loba, parentheses, he says, I know, LOL. But we clearly need something. We don't have a ton to lose at this point. Here's my strategy, and that is some of which we saw last night in Nashville's yeah. brighter some moments. Some of which has been the plan. It just hasn't necessarily worked out. Right. So basically what I'm doing is articulating what the plan kind of is, I guess. Uh, and that is you know, the overlapping of Shaq Moore and the attack, which is sometimes even kind of underlapping and coming inside. But but that's going to provide that width uh, and, and really kind of make, make fullbacks have to come out of mark. You even stretch center backs out. Uh, Leal, of course, we know good cutting inside, very instinctive player, likes to play in a freer role, and, and Shaq Moore kind of frees him up to do that when they are playing on the same side. Uh, on the other end, Lovitz really hasn't gotten forward as effectively this year. He's, he tied a career high in assists last year, just has one this season, I believe, in addition to his goal. Um, and that's led to a cross-heavy approach from the left. But I think on the right side, at least, you know, like Levitz can, can afford to sit back a little more if Moore is your primary attacking fullback. He probably should sit back a little more. And if Moore can stretch out those center backs, that, of course, leaves more room in the middle to combine. And Moore, as we saw last night, uh, Sunday night, has the ability to get to the inline uh, on those overlaps mm -hmm. and to, to beat defenders all the way in where you're winning corner kicks, setting up those fortuitous set pieces, or, you know, putting in a more dangerous cross from... 10 yards out from the inline, dragging it back, mm -hmm. forcing impossible decisions from defenders rather than crossing from the edge of the golden third. So I think rather than speculative crosses, that's yeah. the way you're going to get through to the hearts of the, of these defenses. And Nashville's had some success doing that here. Yeah. I, I mentioned when we were talking about what goes into expected goals, that that crossing is considered a, a poor form of generating it offense. But what you just mentioned at the very end there is, is quite the caveat to that. If you're getting, kind of to the corner of the of the six yard box and, and crossing from there. That's that's more like a pass, honestly. It's like a pullback cross. We've seen that a lot out of more already in just his few games in Nashville. I think that's going to be productive. The fact that they weren't converted upon doesn't necessarily make them unproductive, especially because maybe the timing is still not quite there. Although I think on Sunday night it was as good as it's been. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Well I actually want to Loba uh, as as Ryan brought up in the in the question there, if you're gonna lose games four three anyway, why not give him a go? Right, like he's he's a defensive liability, yes, but maybe he can provide a spark and give CJ the rest, kind of like what I mentioned with yeah. with Willis maybe needing a rest to, and get, getting Panico in there. Throw him out there. It's not gonna be it's not gonna be worse than what you're seeing now in terms of the result. It might be worse in terms of the aesthetics or the, or the or the principles of how Gary Smith wants to play, but. It's, we're at a point in the year where if the results aren't matching what you feel you deserve, you got to do something to maybe try and supercharge that. Yeah, I think he may be more of an attacking liability, too. He's got one shot on target all year. So, I mean, limited chances, but... I'm, a, I'm like driving the Loba hater train, but I think that that is very much a situational thing of when he's had his opportunities to play. And yes, 
Uh, some of it is that he's that he's not <laughs> taking advantage of the opportunities he has had. But I do think if you threw him out there as a starter, you'd get a different sort of performance out of him too. I've got a super fan at the window uh, yelling, go see daddy at me. So we'll go three <laughs> three short ones. It's my son, by the way. Should, should clarify. Um, Travis Poole, once could always fully back. It has to be him and Davis to start. And then having Dax off the bench, it's a good rotation for midfield. And maybe Nashville sees a spark. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's what the plan was coming into the year and, and certainly would still have been the plan by now if Godoy had been available the whole year. I think uh, we're seeing that Dax McCarty going 90 minutes or, or more often 60 minutes is still a little too much to get the best out of him. And the more you can give him a little bit of a rest with Godoy, the better. Well done. Uh, Valer, uh, not only a friend of the show, but now a, uh, a host of the show, a, a, a part-time host. Will Tim ever mention dinosaurs during your show, or are you guys too professional for that? We're not too professional for anything, Valer. You know this. You know us well. So, so you know the 1993 blockbuster film, Blockbuster. You know the 1993 blockbuster film, Jurassic Park, and this, this common complaint that we hear about it so much, that the velociraptors of the film are are big you know five foot tall guys instead of little turkey little turkeys like the actual velociraptor is i would like to point out that author michael crichton based the velociraptors from his novel uh, his 1990 novel by the same title and and the subsequent film adaptations uh produced and the first one directed by steven spielberg on the dinonychus genus but he simply used the velociraptor name because it has a more dramatic sound and wes i know you are looking at the rundown thinking tim looked this up on wikipedia but no i the only thing i looked up on wikipedia is what year the novel came out oh no i believe you i believe that's from your (laughs) twisted brain and from now on we're not going to call it xg we're going to call it t-rex g uh, hey, look at him go! I will say this, Cameron, my little guy, will gladly join you at a dinosaur museum. I mean, I'll go too. I, I you know, I like that stuff. But he, he's, he just turned two, and there was a little two-year-old cousin that, that came and and kind of celebrated with him. And she, we're like, can you say Cam? And she's like trying to struggle to get it out. And he's like, this is a Velociraptor. This is a pterodactyl. <laughs> this is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So yeah, you don't even you know. You know what one I find gives the kids difficulty is Comsognathus. That gives the adults difficulty too, Tim. Yeah. Just not you. Well, you know what adults it gives particularly particular difficulty is the adults at the beginning of Jurassic Park three who are eaten by a herd of them. So. The world was indeed lost. That was two. That's, wasn't two. It? That's, That's two. two. Sorry, I've been to the valley in Molokai, Hawaii, where the opening scene to three was filmed. Though it's not why I went. Because I'm not as nerdy <laughs> you didn't as you. Go. I, I was just gonna go try to. You've probably flown out there but... just to get. The, yeah, there were no dinosaurs. <laughs> they really, they really oversold the place. There was not a single Velociraptor there. I was very disappointed. Uh, the final question from Aaron Kasdorf to close off this section. He just says, "No further questions." <laughs> <laughs> Don't go, Aaron. Uh, outside in. You uh, were an all-star, as we mentioned. You got your game on. You went and played in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and maybe even crossed the river into Minneapolis. And uh, you had a great experience up there, Tim, didn't you? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I think the part that is least fun for our listeners is is getting to meet all the other journalists that uh, I have talked to online that I've you know, communicated with, collaborated with, but never met face-to-face for the first time. Um, Next to me at the... the, uh, press box table which was actually in the stands because there were so many media members there hmm. uh there were two empty seats that were supposed to be occupied by the cooligans uh former oh. guests of the show didn't show up to the game don't worry i had i had dinner with them before good. the game but I saw oh, good it. so i was in seat number four and they were in seats number five and six and so it just says six cooligans i'm like two of them was enough man <laughs> but, <laughs> no it was great and 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 st paul allianz field put on a great show 
Um, MLS put on a great show. It was a really fun event. I'm going to be honest. I went there. I had expectations that it was going to be kind of like boring and, and real septic feel or uh, antiseptic feeling, I should say. Not it wasn't that, yeah, septic. <laughs> I was going to get sepsis there. Um, it wasn't that at all. Um, and it was really fun. They, they embraced the fun of it, which I think Good. most listeners probably know is one of the reasons that we like MLS vis-a-vis probably higher quality of play leagues around the world. So that was pretty good too. And then we've been hearing so much about it over the years since it opened on the black heart of St. Paul. I'm going to give a shout out to that across the street from Allianz field, uh, a really, really fun bar Um, stopped in there after the all-star game. Did not know that it was karaoke night, did not participate in karaoke night. I'm, I'm I'm a very COVID averse person and do not have the confidence to participate in karaoke night. Yet, um, when I realized that the clientele of that bar is loaded with really good singers, I was like, this is definitely not for me then. <laughs> so, but it was a really good time. And, um, you know, seeing Hani Mukhtar be the, the unquestioned MVP of the skills challenge on um, Walker Zimmerman go out and have a good performance in the all-star game itself the following night. It was just a really fun time with really fun vibes. And you caught up with uh, Walker and Hani uh, while you were covering the all-star game. Do you feel like the team is in, in like an actual slump or do you feel like it's just kind of like an unlucky result here and there and it kind of looks worse than it might actually be? Yeah, I mean, we are still in the, in the playoff spot, you know what I mean? Like we, we have to focus on the next game. It's like, uh, it feels like everyone is so negative right now, you know? It's, uh, I, let us win two games now um, and then the, the world looks different, you know? It's interesting because both of those guys kind of we're like, yeah, this is this is part of my job. I've got to do this for part of my job. As I'm out here like, oh, this is great. I'm having so much fun. But they really respected the the honor that it was to represent not just themselves, but also Nashville. And that, that actually uh, applies to, to Nashville SC's lone member of the MLS next All-Star game. Uh-huh. Uh, U17 center back Alejandro Carrillo. I talked to him after the MLS next All-Star game. Unfortunately, he uh, was, I think, culpable <laughs> for one of the goals that the West team gave up. But Going, going out there and representing Nashville, representing yourself and your family, all of that is like a theme that I don't think maybe Austin FC journalists were picking up or that LA Galaxy journalists were picking up from mm-hmm. the people that were representing their club. So it was pretty cool to hear those guys be so excited about it. Glad you got to catch up with, with Hani and with Walker. Special weekend for them. Uh, what was your favorite part of the weekend personally? It was just this the atmosphere inside the stadium, particularly for the game itself. Although the skills challenge did have a very different, like, you know, when it's a little more sparse and people are, the fans are acting kind of a little like zany because of it. That yep. was fun. But dude, the, the stadium was packed for the game. Um, I would guess it was probably like 80, 20 fans who were cheering for the league MX team, but it's about it, what was, you'd it was so much fun. <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, to, to just be there and and that's what soccer should be. It should be people sitting there having fun. It feels like sometimes regular season games, there's almost too much pressure. It's still mm-hmm. fun as like a viewer, but you, you don't get the sense that the players are having fun, that everybody, that the fans are having fun because they're too nervous. So it was, it was pretty cool to just have this like kind of lighthearted atmosphere. And I know a lot of people who are fans of like Euro leagues do not like the concept of an all-star game because it's cheesy, but it is exactly my, my cheesy, I guess. <laughs> That's why we love MLS is because it's not the Euro snob stuck up soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in, in terms of, of taking things seriously, I know it's a, it's an exhibition and all that, but do, did you get the feel that the players seem to take that MLS Liga MX budding rivalry seriously, or is that more of a construct to try to gain TV dollars and viewers and uh, you know kind of build a build a product rather than a than a hostile rivalry? Yeah, I only I only spoke to the MLS All Stars, um, although I did hear from my colleagues who talked to the Liga MX All Stars that they were legit like pissed off both nights to lose to MLS. So take, take that for what it's worth. I think the, the MLS all-stars, it was mostly the, the Mexican and Mexican American guys who were taking it seriously, kind of wanting to show Liga MX like, Hey, you know, here's what you're missing out on. Um, obviously particularly Carlos Vela and Chicharito are our guys who are, who are somewhat famously kind of of that, of that mindset. And they were vocal about it as well. So other than that, I think it was a lot of, it's a game. I'm here to play the game. I want to win. I'm not going to show up to a game and, and not care about winning. So that it was more that than any specific, um, you know, MLS versus Liga MX thing from, I think most of the, um, you know, uh, white American players or the, or the guys from, you know, European or South American countries. Just wait for league's cup. Going to be a lot of fun uh, next year when it, there's a competitive aspect to it uh, officially and the trophy on the line. You obviously, you mentioned you had a chance to catch up with a lot of different journalists and pundits. What was the tenor of the discussion about NSC? Anything that differed maybe from what we're talking about here locally? Yeah, I mean, obviously we get into the 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 nitty gritty of it and we answer mailbag questions every week and we kind of push back on some narratives every week. And I think some of the narratives that I, I tend to push back on and maybe it's my philosophy more than more than what is is the uh gospel truth about nsc but i think some of the the negativity around nashville sc that we answer questions about is kind of what the national perception is right now mm-hmm. i think in the big picture most journalists and and people around the league kind of understand that nashville sc has kind of been hard done by by luck but i think you know if you listen to extra time radio for example i think you get a good idea of First of all, where a lot of national journalists get their get their league wide information, and secondly, yep. what kind of that that narrative is? Yeah, they are they are kingmakers in a way when it comes to the MVP race, and also when it comes to well, uh, don't to play reputation. don't play the heel over here. Wow. <laughs> I promise oh, you, I'd be making another pun. Well done, well done. <laughs> I got a honeyed it to you, hand it. To you. <laughs> no, that that you, you went honeyed, once again. Honeyed to you. Where? Well, I, I drove seventeen hours from Canada this weekend. <laughs> My pun game is off because. The wife and baby just don't laugh at the puns in the car for 17 hours, I've learned. Uh, final 16 whistle. and then it's over. Ugh, <laughs> that <man>. last hour. <laughs> I need that sweet spot in age, too, where he thinks I'm funny. We're not there yet. Um, <laughs> Lisa got me a, a mug for Father's Day that says, ask me about my dad jokes. And I held it up and I said, Cameron, is daddy funny? And he, without even thinking, he went, nope. And uh, that's oh, man. Two-year-old is already 15 at heart. <laughs> awesome. Uh, final whistle content recommendations. I got one again, soccer as content. Um, and I want you to help me. I want you guys to help me out. Each of you pick a league that doesn't get much coverage. It can be in, it could be in England. It could be the championship. It could be league one. It could be Bulgaria. I don't know. Like pick somewhere whose culture interests you, whose history interests you, or just a cool team with, I don't know, fun kits. I don't know. Pick a team. And use it as a prism to learn about that country or that city's culture and let us know who you pick. And I want you to help me because I've had a couple that hadn't stuck in the past. I tried to get really into Argentina 
um, and still think it's really freaking cool at culture. But when I tried to get hooked, it was when, you know, there were no fans in the stands and that's, that's the appeal of Argentina in so many mm-hmm. ways. Um, and so I didn't stick with San Lorenzo like I hoped. So pick a league, random league, maybe not a top six league. Tell us who you're supporting. And uh, maybe maybe we'll, or at least maybe I'll try to co-opt your choice and, and root for them with you. That's my assignment to you, and that is the content as leagues start around the world. And mine is something that you can't watch anytime soon. But, but just earlier on Monday, um, U.S. Soccer and Soccer United Marketing, which is the, the marketing arm that is owned by Major League Soccer, announced an upcoming documentary. They're going to do a docu-series as the U.S. Men's National Team prepares to participate in the World Cup Um behind the scenes documentaries are awesome. People very much like them mm-hmm. uh, all or nothing as, as Arsenal fans uh, are all too aware of not going to watch the last three episodes of that <laughs> <Yeah>. season. <laughs> yeah. Those, so those sorts of shows are always really cool. Um, it does sound like there's, there's going to be a little bit more depth to it where they're going to some of these guys' hometowns and seeing what, you know, what kind of brought them to this point going to Atlanta to see how Shaq Moore um, made the 26 for Qatar, uh, fingers crossed, going to Atlanta and seeing how Walker Zimmerman got on the 26. Two birds, one stone. Yeah, the much much more uh, like more almost guaranteed there. But it sounds like it's going to be really cool. I eat this stuff up, so I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Same, and I'm here for the Tucker Zimmerman scene as well. You know he's going to steal the show. <laughs> Only one? Many, many Tucker Zimmerman scenes. Episode. The Tucker episode. <laughs> there you go. Guys, thanks for listening. This has been a bit of, a, of an epic uh, episode. Maybe our, our one of our longest without a guest, uh, but I think there, that's because there's so much to discuss. And I hope that, that you know what you took from us is, look, every bit of the frustration that you're feeling is, is completely legitimate, but the predictive data still says this team's in the hunt. By the way, so do the standings. And so uh, giving up on the club and certainly giving up on this podcast would be a grave error at this point uh, with still several matches to go, most of them at home, which is not the asset, as I say that, that, that <laughs> it, it would be if they'd been performing better there. Uh, thanks to uh, to ML Rose for sponsoring us and making amazing Juicy Burgers. For Moon Taxi for the music, uh, hop on again uh, to Apple Podcasts, rate, review the show. It takes two seconds. It's really easy. Um, and you can do it anonymously with a screen name. You don't have to, you know, tell us who you are. Although if you do, and it's a good review. That's great. Uh, subscribe to the show. Tell a friend about us. Give us each a follow on Twitter. Tim, any final thoughts in this like hour and a half long episode? No, just that uh, if Nashville SC doesn't make the playoffs, don't blame me for for trusting the predictive stats. That's it. We're only telling you what could. And when happen. they do, and when they do, and everything is fine. I was right all along. Hey, maybe the New York effect is, is going to happen again this year. You just never know, and that's why we watch the games. Uh, as Dak said, it takes a result or two for this team to be right back into a very positive position. Uh, thanks to the 440 Sports Network for giving us the platform to uh, build a community uh, around you because you're the ones who are building the community. We just get to, to be a part of that, and uh, can't wait to see many of you, hopefully out at MLRO soon. Uh, until then, until next week, have a great day.